Open your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. A few weeks ago we looked at the first seven verses, so I'll begin reading this morning in verse 8 to the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Hear God's word. If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. For one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life he will also eat in darkness and with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Here's what I've seen. To be good and fitting. To eat, to drink. And enjoy oneself in all one's labor, in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. For this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life, because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. I received a letter in the mail, brought a copy. It said, Dear Dr. Roundtree, the persons listed below already won or may win the dollar amount beside their name. Deborah Brown, $3,200,000. Jennifer Smith, $2,200,000. David Roundtree, $3,500,000. Marie Erickson, $2,500,000. In fact, Deborah, Jennifer, and Marie have already received their prizes. They only left one person out. Had they not responded, they never would have received their tremendous fortunes. You, David Roundtree, will definitely receive 3,500,000 if you respond, and here's a catch, and are selected. As the multi-million dollar sweepstakes winner, return your entry immediately along with your entry order form. Millions of dollars are at stake. Now, why do we get letters like that? Why are there television programs 
that have million dollar winners. Why do we care about minimum wage discussions? Why do we care about stock market reports? Why do we care about a stimulus package? It's because we are hungry for money. We live in a money hungry world. And we crave it all the time. God deals with it in Ecclesiastes, just how we should respond to that craving and that culture that we are surrounded by. We saw in the first seven verses of Ecclesiastes how to avoid emptiness with God. Now in verses 8 to the end, we see how to avoid emptiness from greed. How to avoid emptiness from this drive within us for more and more money. Let's look at this money-hungry problem described in verses 8 through 17. And then we'll see the solution of how to live in that culture in verses 18 through 20. He, he breaks up the greed here. and I saw it like in three sections. Had a hard time describing them. First is clearly government greed. Second, somewhat kind of a general greed that we all have. And third, he calls it a grievous Greed, And that's pretty clear once you look at it. First of all, government greed, verses 8 and 9. Uh, you see this word province. A province is a government district, okay? Officials, we're talking about government officials. And then verse 9 is talking about a king. So there's this hierarchical government structure that he's talking about. In verse 8 he says, If you see oppression of the poor. So because of the government, the poor seem to be getting poorer the rich seem to be getting richer. That seems to describe our government, our situation uh, very plainly today. If you see that oppression of the poor and denial of justice, you know, nobody's really seems to be helping them like they should. And there's not enough righteousness in the government, in the province. Don't be shocked. That's an interesting phrase. Don't be shocked at the sight. He says, because you've got an official who's doing his job, but he's watched over by another official who makes sure that official does his job in such a way that the next official gets paid. And then there's another official who overlooks both of those to make sure he gets paid. And there's a sense in which the, the system is built for oppression. Let's push down the little man so we can get more. Those who have power and authority oppress, work the system because they can. And they want more just as we all do. Now, I'm, I'm shocked when my bills go up from AT&T and DISH and, you know, those services. It shocks me. It bothers me. They're gouging me. And I'm thinking, how could they do this? Don't they want my business? It, shouldn't, it should shock me because they should want my business. But government doesn't have to have my business. Government doesn't have to do anything to get my business. He says, so don't be shocked. It's, it's not the same culture. They oppress because they can. And they can get away with it at times. He says, and that's what's happening when you have this hierarchical structure, um, 
understand that's what's going to happen. So how, how do we work the system? How do we get better government, better leaders, better authority over us? I think there's a clue in verse 9 that there's an advantage to a, from a king who cultivates. He does the right thing. Clearly, we see here it's better to have authority than to have anarchy. Should we defund government? Should we try to eliminate government? No. It says there's an advantage from government. Verse 9 makes that clear. Another thing I think it makes clear is how badly we need Christians, believers, the righteous, the godly in government positions with authority. Because there's no way, there's no checks and balances for government unless there are godly, biblical, just people in authority. God raises up some from among us. There are generational people in here that God will raise up to be leaders in our society one day. And we need you there. We cannot abandon our city, our culture. They are in need of the righteous, and the righteousness exalts the city and exalts the nation. We need to see the advantage, but we need to promote the godly. So pray for the godly. Pray for our leaders, that God would draw them into his word, fill them with his spirit, so that they enact biblical godly principles for us all. Um, there's a natural government greed that's going to happen. And it can only be pushed down by those who are godly there. Second, he talks about this general greed uh, that's uh, among us. Verse 10 and 11. Uh, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Uh, he who loves abundance with its income. And it's just vanity. He says... Uh, you have, and then you always want more. Somebody asked John uh, D. Rockefeller when he was making his fortune in, the, in America, you know, well, you're, you're, you're making more than anybody. How much is enough? And his answer is famous. He says, well, I think just a little bit more. You know, no matter how much he made, it's, and I need just a little bit more. And a lot of times we're that way. As soon as we complete a project, well, my next project is... And you see, our minds are always one more thing, a little bit more. When is enough enough? And it doesn't ever seem to be. We always want a little bit more. And where does that get us? Verse 10 and 11 says, you know, when things increase, um, those who consume them increase. In other words, you get more, well, then you need more. You, if you grow a business, then you need more employees. Then you need more people. Then you need more tax advisors, then you need more lawyers, and then you need more whatever. It just goes and goes and goes. So the advantage is you get to look at more, but you really don't have sometimes a lot more uh, as a result. You just grow what you have, and it seems to be vain because it doesn't necessarily bring us contentment. Uh, and you lose sleep, verse 12. The sleep of the working man seems pleas is pleasant, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach, the emphasis on full, of the rich. The rich man has enough to fill up. 
Well, not only do you fill up your stomach, you fill up your brain with all the things you've got to look at and watch over. And how many of us know when you're thinking about a lot of things, no matter how comforting your food is, you fill up your stomach, you're thinking, and you can't sleep. And yet you see somebody who's not worried about the things, not worried about filling up, just wants to work hard, lays down, and sleeps fine. That's kind of the contrast he's giving you there. Is one that worker a very contented person and the other not? Always wanting more and more. That general greed, that money hungerness just seems to drive us. And yet it doesn't buy us sleep. We still worry. We're still struggling. Um, You can buy bigger beds and more comfortable beds, but it doesn't buy the sleep in those beds. Um, And then he goes to even a more grievous evil. It was interesting to me as you look at that, verse 13. There's a grievous evil. Evil should have been enough word there for me. There's an evil. It's like saying there's an evil evil. How does it get worse than evil? There's a grievous evil. It's like it's bad enough already that we want more and more and more and don't seem to know what to do with the more and more and more we've got. And it doesn't really make us righteous, it doesn't even make us peaceful, doesn't even enable us to sleep. And then he says, I see this evil that's grievous. And then he describes it so we don't have to wonder what he's talking about. It's riches being hoarded by his owner to his hurt, verse 13. Riches being hoarded. It's grievous evil. Um, Two things, as I meditate on that in this passage... Why is it so grievous? I think two things. Number one, it's grievous. It's a grievous evil because it makes us think that our security is in our things. When you hoard stuff, trouble comes. You think, I got enough stuff. I can weather this storm. I can take care of myself. I got stuff. And so people hoard stuff always saying, I'll use that one day, or I might use that one day. I may need that one day, so I want to keep it. I want to hang on to it. It will be my comfort. It will be my security. Instead of finding our security in Christ, we find our security in things. That's grievous. It's a grievous evil to find our security in things. And then second, I think it's a grievous evil because it makes us takers instead of givers. We want to just take. We always want to take and put, put it somewhere. You want this? Yeah, I do. That's what hoarders do. How about some of this? Yep, I do. And it's grievous because you see there's so many people in this world that always want to take from government. They always want to take from the poor. They always want to take from the church. If somebody's offering, they want to take. It's grievous. Instead of being a giver, we become a taker. We displace God thinking our wealth is our security. Verse 14, when those riches were lost through one bad investment, a bad investment, and he had fathered a son, there's no support. So that's, that's terrible. We put our security in stuff. Now we have nothing to show for ourselves, nothing really to give because one bad investment can wipe it out. How many of you had stock in GameStop? Stop. 
You don't want to admit it, huh? Okay. GameStop, and one day, some people who shorted the stock lost billions. It flew up. Then it starts coming back down, and people lose billions again. Lose billions both ways. One investment. We've seen that in our culture recently, and that's what he's describing here. Just one bad mistake, and it's all away. Where's your security now? Now you have nothing to show for your life because you thought your life was in your stuff. Verse 15 describes like naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I return. Uh, It's just a grievous thing that I put so much stock in my stuff. You know the the old ad is there's never been seen a a U-Haul trailer following a hearse. You just don't take it with you. You don't take it with you. The way you came into this world is the way you go out of this world. So why are you spending so much time trying to accumulate stuff for this world instead of for something else? Um, Lose it all and eventually will go. Um, How do we avoid sorrow by wealth? Verse 17, the... Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Not very satisfying. How do we escape that? Verse 16, the last phrase, he says, So what, what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? He described this or summed up this whole money-hungry life as somebody trying to grab the wind. How successful is that life? I mean, I just grabbed some. Did you see it? I can't feel it. I can't see it. But that's the way a lot of people are living their life. It's a life you, when it's said and done, you you can't see that it was of value and significance. This money-hungry grab is like grabbing the wind. So then he leads to the solution. Let's go there. We know what the money-hungry problem is. Look at the solution, verses 18 through 20. Uh, And I want to give you three. Number one is cherish your wealth. And by your wealth, I mean all that you have. Cherish all that you have as a gift from God. Verse 18. Here's what I've seen. Here's what I've seen to be good. Here's what I've seen to be good and fitting. To eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun the few years of his life, catch this, which God has given him for his reward. So all our toil, all our labor, all that we have is a gift from God, which God has given, for this is his reward. We need to learn to cherish all that we have as a gift from God. Our riches are God's gift. All comes from God. Now, you, you may have all said it. If you haven't all said it, you've all heard it said. And that is, can't complain, must be free. Because it was free. Can't complain, it was free. You got a, you got a, a lunch? Can't compl- How was it? Can't complain, it was free. Somebody gave you some money, can't complain, it was free. 
Somebody gives you a car, can't complain. It's not one I want. I can't complain. It was free. We take that mentality. If it's free, can't grumble, can't complain. All I can do is enjoy it. Now, what if you received every day as a gift? What if you received all of your work as a gift? What if you received every paycheck as a gift? Can't complain. It was free. Every good and perfect gift, James 1.17, that comes down to us from the Father above is a gift. All of your labor, all of your ability, all of your time, all of your breath, all that you have is a gift. Can't grumble and complain. It was free. And not only that, God is a giver, not a taker. God so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son. I have eternal life because Christ perished, died in my place, so I don't perish because through faith in Him I live. Can't complain. It's free. Praise God. What if we had that perspective? You see, this is why Philippians 2 says Christians are not those who grumble and complain. Because we get it. The rest of the world doesn't know where their stuff comes from. They, don't, they suppress that truth. They don't know where their, the air comes from. They don't know where their ability comes from. They don't know where their labor comes from. We do. It's a gift from God. And because we see it as a gift of God, we don't grumble we don't complain. What do we do? We rejoice. Life is so much more fun for us when we view everything we have as a gift. Now, are you doing that? When I see somebody constantly grumbling and complaining, two thoughts. Either number one, they're not a believer. Because believers don't do that. Or number two, somehow their thinking has gotten clouded. They're living in sin. They are not worshiping regularly, praising God for every good and perfect gift. When we come to worship God for every good and perfect gift, every day, every activity enables us to rejoice, not complain. Um, some people who are the wealthiest people on the planet are bankrupt in joy, in satisfaction. Because they think they have earned it. And with the right to earn it, they have the right to grumble and complain about it. And they're bankrupt without Christ. You see, it doesn't matter how much we have if we have Christ. Christ is the one who's given us the ability to enjoy what we have. And um, it's just learning to see God has given us our time, our ability. So we need to enjoy. Uh, every day is a gift from God. I wake up in the morning and I think my wife and I, uh, about four days a week, we pray together. And many times in that prayer, she, she can attest to it. I say, Lord, thank you for our home. Why? Because I built it? No, because God gave it. God gave it. This is a gift. 
when every day and everything you have is a gift, you're like a kid opening a present every morning. God, what do you have today? And you enjoy that gift. So learn to cherish. I picked that word purposely. Cherish all you have, all your wealth, all your time, all your ability, all your thinking. Learn to cherish it as a gift from God and you'll start having a satisfying life. Number two, choose the wonder of a gift. Now, this is where I struggle a little bit more. The, the first, I'm getting better at, learning to cherish everything I have as a gift. But I want to go one step further. Verse 19, furthermore, see the text even reads that way. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given the gift, God has given us riches and wealth. He has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. So it's like this too. So not only has he given us all that we have, he says he's empowered us, and that's what I mean by he's given us the ability to stop and reflect. Choose to wonder at the gift. Choose the wonder of the gift from God. Do you do, you do that? I, I struggle with that part more than the other, but uh, I have the ability to stop work and to start reflecting. I don't like to stop work. I, I like doing one more thing, one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. I look at the clock. I've got a few more minutes. One more thing. That's the way I'm kind of geared. I, I'm, I like work. And so I work, and I work, and I work. And then I come home. I, another thing my wife will attest to. I come home, and my mind's still spinning. I've been working, 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 working. She says, how would you say? I said, don't ask me. I'm still working. You know, it's like. She realized, you need to sit down. And you need to just rest. You need to reflect on what's happened today. And then you can start enjoying the day. And that's why I so badly need Sunday. I need Sabbath rest. I need to stop work. God says, work six days. He says, then stop. And on the seventh day, or the Sabbath day, the Christian Sabbath being the first day of the week, we, we need desperately to rest because this is the day where we stop and reflect. God's the giver. He's given to me. What a wonderful thing. And we praise Him. And we adore Him. How much more fun my life would be if I stopped 15 minutes early, if I stopped 30 minutes early, and I just said, Lord, let's just, let's just talk. Let's talk about what you've given today. Let's talk about what's been accomplished. Let me take the time to thank you, to praise you, to adore you for the breath I've been able to breathe and the work I've been able to accomplish. Other people may not care. Other people may not appreciate anything I've done. But God, I just want you to know I appreciate what you've done. You've given me gifts today. 
You give me gifts every day. Let me count these gifts and let me reflect upon these. Why? Because you've given me not only the ability to work, you've given me the ability to stop work and to rest and to reflect. And I think probably I'm not the only one. Sometimes maybe you're not like me that you want to do one more thing, you want to work, and that's fine. But instead of resting and reflecting, we turn on something. We turn on the radio, and we turn on our computers, and we turn on the television, and we turn on a movie, and we just keep things coming instead of stop and reflect that God has given us something. He's given us these days, and that's what I think verse 19, to stop and say, this is the gift of God, my abilities, my time. And to stop and think about God has given riches and wealth. What a phrase. You might not describe yourself. How are you? I'm, I'm full of riches and wealth. Really? That's interesting. Different perspective. Why? Because God's given me riches and wealth. And maybe at the end of each day or even at the beginning, you start the next day thinking what were the riches and wealth of yesterday? God is the God of yesterday, He's the God of today, He's the God of the future, and He just keeps on giving us. It's time to reflect, it's time to be happy. Uh, at dinner today, why not lift your glass and drink to the Lord? So, whoa, 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 preacher, you might be taking a little bit too far there of talking about drinking to Jesus. Corinthians says, he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. God has given you your food and your drink. Why not lift it up to him and give him praise? Why not reflect? That's a rich, riches, wealth. That he gives us meals. Lift up to him the joy of fellowship. Being with his people. Being in a family of believers. Exalt God for his goodness and his glory. That's what I mean by choose the, to just stop and wonder at the gift. The gifts he's given you each day. And then the third thing he gives us, verse 20. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Really. Does God keep you occupied with the gladness of your heart? He does if you are fixated on grace. That if we change our perspective and we see each day as a gift from God, hearts fixed on grace instead of on our bank account. Instead of being money hungry, we're spending our days reflecting on the richest one, our God, a God of wealth, constantly giving to us ability and power to do things and then to stop and enjoy the, the things and the ways he blesses us. Uh, consider your worth. Uh, look at Matthew. I want to give you three verses real quick. Matthew 6, verse 20. 
Matthew 6, verse 20. As you think about wealth, think this way. We don't want to be the grievous, evil, money-hungry person who hoards. Instead, verse 20 of Matthew 6, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. Don't put your stuff out in the shop and garage where it's going to rust. He says, won't, learn, won't you learn to put your stuff in heaven? It doesn't get rusty there. As you think about, how do, how do you do that? It's, it's giving to God, back to God, praise. God, you've given this to me today. I've done this with it. Let me step back and reflect on that. Let me give it back to you. I want to I send it back to heaven. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Do you do that? Take it back to God. Ask God to take this back. And, and, and save it for me in heaven. You can't take things with you. You can only send things ahead. And you send them ahead through faith in Christ. Father, this was a work. This was a joy. This was a prayer. This was my occupation in my brain all day. Let me give it back to you. Let me reflect on what is good and worthy and righteous and godly and give it back to you. And God says, I will store that up for you. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That God gives us the ability to grow in our riches in Christ. I want to see it again in a different way. Look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And here is very specific instructions to people who have accumulated financial wealth on earth. 1 Timothy chapter 6, which was always dawning to me as a preacher. So, God, if you ex expect me to be the instructor of the rich, you've got to tell me who the rich are. Because here's a very specific instruction to them. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world. And here becomes the instruction. Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. See, we just saw that in Ecclesiastes. Don't put your hope and security in your stuff. Where should it be? Your hope and security should be on God who richly supplies us with all things, see, God is the giver of all things, notice the next phrase, to enjoy. God wants us to be happy, to enjoy the life he's given us. He supplied the things for that purpose. And it goes on. Instruct them, then what? Not be takers, but doers, givers. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And then verse 19. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So life is not in our stuff. It's not in getting more here. It says tell the rich person to learn how to give. Give it away. Give it away. So that they, in 
doing what God wants them to do, they store up, they send ahead riches in heaven. They begin to accumulate what is life indeed. Oh yeah, one more verse. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4 verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. If you've not been a worker, you've just been stealing from other people, the scripture says you need, you need to work to what? Quit stealing? No. If, you, if, you're not, if you've been stealing and you're not stealing right now, you're just a thief between jobs. When is a thief not a thief? A thief is not a thief when he's a giver. When he's accumulated now enough to share and he works to give. He doesn't work to be a taker. He works to be a giver. You're laying up stuff in heaven when you work to be a giver. You work to minister, thanking God for his ministry to you, giving back a ministry for him. That's enjoyable living. That's the kind of life God wants us to have. All right, you kind of get the picture. Back in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19, he says, He has also empowered him. So God's given us ability to choose things, to choose to eat, to choose to drink, to also choose to give or to choose to take, to choose to be hungry or to choose to be humble and content. You have choices. What will you choose in this passage? You want to be hungry? Or you want to be hungry for money? Or you want to be humble and wait for God? Your choice. Make your choice. Choose. You want to be driven by greed? Or driven by grace? Choose. You're going to be one or the other. Driven by greed or driven by grace? And do you want to be a giver or a taker? Choose. You're going to be one or the other. John D. Rockefeller Sr., he uh, made a billion dollars by the age of 53 the wealthiest person in the world in his day. First American to make a billion dollars. When he got to age 53, after making a billion dollars, he had such an empire. He became so sick and worried with all he had to keep up with. His hair fell out, his eyebrows fell out, his eyelashes fell out. He was so troubled, he couldn't even eat milk and crackers. And his doctor says, I do not expect him to make it till 54. Well, in that year, Rockefeller came to know Christ. Christ changed his heart, changed his life, began to teach him principles of Scripture. And that's when Rockefeller set, set up Rockefeller Foundation. 
Because God changed his life. And instead of just making it to 54, he went on to live till 98. And gave away over $750 million. God can change your life. He's changed my life. Makes a difference. Brings satisfaction and joy. You can sleep well. And you can have a wonderful day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. We have such a glorious life that you've given us in Christ. Father, I suspect, again, there are folks in this world who we know that grumble and complain and are miserable all the time. Enable us to show them the light of Christ. Father, enable us to be those who see everything as a wonderful, glorious gift from above. Let us be filled, ever filled with praises to Thee. Father, may our time together be enriched more and more as we share the glories of Christ among us. Thank you for leading us back to a happy and joyful life in Christ. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. We all need to turn from selfish, money-hungry pursuits and again seek you and your righteousness. Grant us that ability to choose Christ. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.